Turn with me to Acts chapter 16. We're going to be there in just a moment. As we continue our series in Rooted in Him, we've been following a pattern and we come up to really this significant topic of sharing because we love people. Every now and then a subject comes up, a topic, and this is one of those topics that I have been processing and thinking about for a couple years. Seriously. This is one of those things that I think is absolutely of critical importance to the life of the church, not just our church, but across America. As I've talked to a number of other leaders and pastors, and I have this amazing opportunity to talk to about eight different pastors almost every week, and we talk about different things, and you know, we, we see what's happening around us and what's going on with the church. Some of the things were going on before the pandemic, but definitely during the pandemic, a lot has happened. And so one of the things that we know is critical across the board, and that is the sharing of Jesus Christ to the world around us. And today I'd like to bring to you the evidence of that, the importance of that, as we look at a situation in Acts chapter 16. Why is it that we're to share Jesus Christ where we live, where we work, where we play? The answer is really pretty basic. Let me just remind you, because the Lord gave us a command to share. Can you see amen of that? Let's review from Matthew 28, verse 19. You should all know this great commission. I'm sure it's a review, but let me read it. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This is an important passage. Matter of fact, it's important enough that I'd like to give you an opportunity to read it out loud with me. And I'm going to ask you to do one other thing. Out of respect to the word, we should stand. Let me invite you to come to your feet. Stand. Now, I'm reading from the New Living Translation, which is on the board. If you have that, feel free to turn there, but you can read what's on the PowerPoint. So let me lead as we read out loud together. I want you to know something, when you, when you see a comma or a period, I'm going to pause there for a moment. That's how you read the stuff out loud. You ready? Therefore, so we do this together. Ready? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. I invite you to be seated. There's something powerful when you make a pause when it says, I am with you always, and then you breathe at that comma, and let that always kind of ring out. Today I want to encourage you, but I also want to share what I believe is something very important. 
to us as a church and to the church in America. We need to get back to sharing Jesus. Whether you're at home right now joining us or you're here, I'm so thankful for all of us that are gathering here, but it's time that we recognize the importance of communicating and how to communicate the message of Jesus. How could you and I have such a great thing and settle for edifying ourselves only, which is what's happening today? Why is it that we would keep such an amazing truth contained within four walls? As I talk to people, I, I said, you know, what is it that's difficult about sharing Jesus? And I've heard all kinds of things. I, I, I think some people were, were just afraid of saying the wrong thing. We're afraid of the world we live in, of offending someone. Some of us, I believe, are just insecure in our walk, and we're not sure. I had someone say, I don't know if I have the right to say anything because of my life. I believe we live in a culture right now that is attacking us for speaking out about Jesus, for speaking out our biblical view, for speaking out on a lifestyle. And let me say something dramatic. The first century Christians faced the Roman Colosseum. They faced wild animals, gladiators, and death for being believers. I believe today our media has become the new Roman Colosseum. Because I see a strong move to invalidate, create shame, and to vilify the church and believers of Jesus. Now, I've got good news. You're not going to be eaten by wild animals. Can you say amen to that? You're not going to face gladiators, but we do face a social, political coliseum today that is unbelievable. The question is, are we willing to face the sacrifice? Are you willing to do more than just live for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? Because I believe the answer to many in the church today is, well, I'm willing to live for the Lord, but I'm not sure I'm willing to die for the Lord. That's an important question because I'm, I'm convinced that we need something more than just something to live for. We need something to die for. And when you're willing to die for something, it changes you. Somehow it's more comfortable to say, well, I will live for, but what about the question of willing to die for? Die to self, die to pride, die to the things that might come as an attack. You may not be risking your physical life, but there's a lot of other things that we risk in life. I love you guys so much, but as your pastor, my job is to lead you. Not just to teach you, but I am the leader of this church, directing us and where we're to go. And I have a lot of people who help me, and I appreciate that. But it's time that you and I make a very important decision to wake up. It's time that we become alert to where the church is going and what is happening to the church across the country. 
not just us, but all over. I was talking to a friend who we were talking about the last convention that Foursquare had, and they were in Florida. And he was in a meeting, and he stood up, and he said something to the effect, let's be real. My, char my church is half the size it was. Where are you guys at? Because he said he was frustrated with all the conversation about everyone sort of like in denial about what was going on. He stood up and said that, and the group clapped. And then the conversation really started. The realization that, you know what? There is a battle going on. It's happening right now. We have seen here 20 to 30% in a reduction of people coming and being involved in, a, in attendance. People are struggling coming to church. And I got to say something. We know a truth that there is an emotional cost to this. Now, I'm not saying this in some kind of serendipitous way. There is evidence that supports the clarity of this from sociologists, from psychologists, from theologians, from people who study population. And we know that those who have stopped attending church are more insecure, more anxious, and more depressed than those compared who are going to church. You've got to understand, there is value in us being together. This isn't just an exercise of, let's see if we can hang out together. But when we are together, we really are better, healthier, stronger, able to face life like it, as it comes our way. How are we going to face the challenge of life if we don't do this together? Going it alone is not a healthy thing. So, Christianity Today, October 2021, 20, I actually have the article here in front of me, uh, about 21 pages, long article, I read it for you. Let me uh, summarize. <laughs> Empty pews are an American public health crisis. Really? I, that's an accurate statement. We're coming out of COVID. We're going back into COVID. I mean, we kind of wonder what's going on. We are dealing with inflation. We are dealing with politics. And here's what we're discovering as we look at the world right now, our nation, that because of the lack of attendance, the commitment, and there's a direct correlation. And once again, there's facts to this. I am not just saying this intuitively. Marriages are suffering. The family is no longer stable like it was before. I have talked to so many families. I do that every single week. And I see the lack of stability, and I'll say, so who do you have around you? No one. How about going back to church? Any church, go back, get yourself connected again. It's too hard. You don't understand how it is. And at some point, they, they look at me, I say, can I remind you? I raised three children. With, well, my wife did it. I, I just assisted. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, and I worked, when I was doing this, I worked two jobs. I've always worked most of my career two distinctive jobs. 
and was able to manage all that and participate in what God has asked us to do. My point is, it's possible. But there's all kinds of excuses. But the result is what concerns me, a public health crisis. Family is struggling. Um, All kinds of things are happening because of what we're not doing. If the church doesn't wake up and rise to the mission of sharing, evangelism, of communicating the message of, of, of God's gospel, again, I'm going to say something strong. The church will die. Now, how could I say that? There's an example of that in Europe. If you look at the church, the Protestant church in Europe, and look at its history, you soon discover, this is, this is evidence, that they were strong at one point, and now today, I've been there, I've seen it. You can read about it, you can study it. The cathedrals that are absolutely amazing cathedrals are empty, with very few people in attendance. And it has gone that way for the same reason we too will end up that way. If we don't wake up to sharing, the American church is headed in that direction. We are becoming transactional rather than transformational because God's called us to be a transforming place, transformational and relational as an entity. Transaction is more of an organization and a business. And we have all kinds of opportunities around us, but that is going to kill the church. We're not here to conduct business. We're here to change lives. We're here to be family. And I know that's hard for many of us because family is a challenge. But we are more right now about transacting the spiritual and not enough about the transformational work that requires family relationship interactions. So I want to go to Acts 16 with you and look at a, an event, uh, an illustration that I think helps us understand a little bit more about what we're, what God's, I believe, clearly speaking to us today. Now, let me set this up. This is the story of Paul and Silas. You're in Acts 13. You're in a, from uh, 16, from Acts 13 on, you're in a series of mission journeys where Paul actually went to three, some would maybe argue four different journeys, and we're right in the middle of this amazing narrative of the church now going out for the first time. And in Acts 16 is the first time they break into the European geography and the area, and they're going to Ephesus there. And so they're going for the first time, Paul and Silas, to bring the message of of Jesus to people who have not yet heard it. Now look what happens one day. They were going down to the place of prayer. We met a slave girl who had a spirit. Let me qualify that. An evil spirit. This is not good. That enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting. Now let me stop for a second before I tell you what she was shouting. What's happening there is happening today. The idea of reading your 
your palm, tower cards, fortune telling. That is all over the place today. It is a rising business. I was driving to Polsbo, going down, headed to the main street, and as I went around, right on the corner to my left was a small house with a big sign, fortune telling. All kinds of spiritual activity. And it, you, you kind of go by, and it was almost like this eclectic kind of sign that was advertising, and right there. There are places like that everywhere. So what we're reading is contemporary. Now, she's following Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Yeah. Sounds like this is a good thing, doesn't it? It's really not. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But I want you to understand that in the Greek and Roman culture, just like today, this kind of stuff was very, very common. Matter of fact, there was big money in this. We're talking really big money. A lot of what was going on, that's why this whole thing becomes quite an issue. Because what's about to happen to her is going to make her bosses really angry. Because they, she is a product. She is a producer. She is making some guys a whole lot of money. And she does this by interpreting signs, by fortune-telling, etc. But what's happening, the Greek is very clear. If you, if you look at the words and the concept of this, they put two words together to talk about her evil spirit. It's the word for spirit and python. And so what's happening is they're giving this imagery of basically a snake that is speaking to her about the future, which is something that was known in Greek mythology. If you look at the god Apollos, he became a serpent and spoke to the priestess at Delphi, and she spoke on his behalf the future for those who would come to worship at that temple. There's nothing new here. And so you have an ugly situation, make no mistake, this girl, I don't know how old she was, she's probably fairly young at this point, but we don't know, was she a teenager, young woman, doesn't matter. She was being spiritually and emotionally abused. She was being exploited for personal gain of others. This was a tragic situation. Now, why did this demon and this girl announce the truth about Paul? Why didn't they say something opposing to it? And why should this even annoy Paul? I mean, isn't free PR free PR? I mean, gee whiz. Right? You don't have to pay anything for that. This was actually very clever. Clever, Because what the demons were doing was trying to neutralize Paul and Silas. They were declaring who Paul and Silas were as if they were no different than the girl. They're saying, hey, Here's these guys who are doing this spiritual thing, just like I am doing a spiritual thing. There's no different. You walk into my fortune-telling business, what I do is no different than what you get from the Bible. Matter of fact, many of them, I am told, because I talk to people who have gone to fortune-tellers, and they will quote Revelation. They will quote Bible passages. They will bring that in as part of their thing that they're doing in order to bring in Christians. And make no mistake, there are Christians who are involved in this kind of stuff. 
I know some of you read astrology to check out what's going on. That's fortune telling. That's the very same thing we're talking about right now. There is no different then as there is today. So what's happening is a, tr a, a move to neutralize who God is, to make him common, to make him every day, just another spirit among many spirits. And you and I do that every time that we profane the name of Jesus. You get angry, you get frustrated, and then you speak the name of the Lord in vain. The minute you do that, because you get frustrated, you get angry, and you say that, maybe out of habit, you don't even realize you say it, you neutralize, you commonize, you profane the name of Jesus, which is exactly what this demon is trying to do right now with Paul and Silas. I was with someone the other day, and he got frustrated. And he said, blank, blank. Took the Lord's name in vain. I'm standing right there. Hello, I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I, I think he didn't realize it. Then he looked at me for a second. I kind of had my head down. I wasn't, I wasn't doing anything. I was trying to be, you know, okay, I, I get it. I, I, I'm kind of thinking for a moment, God, man, I need an opportunity here. And he looked at me and said, Pastor, I am so sorry. <laughs> I said, I so forgive you, but what you just did is so wrong. You've got to get this figured out. Because if you get that in your brain, and you say it without thinking it, Jesus is being neutralized, invalidated. And so Paul could not ignore this declaration. He had to say something, because if he didn't, it would look like he was linking his message to Lee's activities. He had to speak out. He, he kind of put up with a lot of frustration, but it was getting to the point where he needed to do something because evil seeks to steal, kill, or destroy our trust and our worship in the one and only begotten Son of God whose name is Jesus. And it's still active today. So... The demons are trying to attach themselves to Paul and Silas and destroy their credibility. So eventually, like, and I have no idea what, what it took to get to this point of exasperation. Someday we'll figure out why. I just know that there was the word here in the Greek is very strong. Look at verse 18. This, this went on day after day. How many days? We don't know. Until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. I love the next statement. And immediately it left her. She just got broke. She was no longer a viable, money-making, producing person any longer because her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. They're angry, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar. Why? <laughs> this was threatening financial loss to a whole industry that was active of idle. Right now, one of the big things was idol-making production. 
And this was blowing it up because of Lee's Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Which wasn't true, but they were saying these things, and it was a powerful statement. Paul's exasperated, and he turns to the power of the Holy Spirit, just like you and I turn to the power of the Holy Spirit to watch people freed and God glorified. I want to remind you, this girl suffered. I've seen human beings suffer with this kind of stuff. There's nothing pleasant about this. Don't make any mistakes. She had bad dreams, sleeplessness. She was abused in a number of ways. And anyone in this condition of evil is not contented, and they're not at peace. And this girl just got delivered from a very ugly existence, And all the men around her, the ones who were her bosses, all they could see, not her salvation, but their economic loss. Because the Ephesian idol union was really upset. And they're going to sue these guys. They're going to put them in prison because their economic well-being is now at jeopardy for the glory of God and the salvation of lost souls. If you no longer see the value of that because your economic well-being is more important to you, then that is a sign of idol worship, greed, self-centeredness, adultery to God. Paul and Silas were brought before the legal authorities because they're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Not true. They're just injuring our business, was the real statement. And you could see it in the language when it said, Lee's Jews. You see, we don't know, but we know that Paul was a Roman citizen. No one addressed, because had they been understood as a Roman citizen, it would have been all different. But Lee's Jews, make no mistake, anti-Semitic language occurred back then. They were prejudiced against these Jews who were causing an uproar and hurting us financially. And that's what it comes down to, because they were saying they're proselytizing a Roman citizen. They weren't proselytizing. They brought deliverance to to a little girl who needed to be freed in the name of Jesus. But they interpreted this as illegal, just like today. Just like today. There's some things today that if you go seek help for, it's illegal. If a son or daughter, they're confused about their sexuality, it is against the law to take them to get help for a licensed practitioner to help them understand their created gender, to look at what might really be going on, because anything that would oppose their direction, you can be not only find and lose your license, but in Canada right now, you can be put in jail for 10 years. And that goes for anyone who has a license. Counselors, teachers, physicians, any professional, if they try to do something like that, you are being accused of something that is wrong in the world we live in today. The deception is homosexual. Uh, deception is heterosexuality somehow is no longer the norm. 
And so we live in a world today where we're afraid. And there is a move to invalidate Christianity as just another form of spirituality. How dare they speak and say anything as we would push back with biblical principles, sharing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Listen, we are Rome today. So, verse 22, and a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas. The city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. For what reason? They helped a human being? They brought peace to a, to a little girl? They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Here's what they did. They put these guys, Paul and Silas, in the worst place for only the very worst criminals, for the ones who were the really bad guys. Now remember, they had not been charged. They have not been convicted. They're thrown into a hole. I've seen in the Middle East, I've been there, and I've seen actual prisons that were basically, this is a cave, a stone that is developed. Listen, when they went into this thing, there was no comfort. They weren't given a mat. They weren't given straw. They weren't given any padding. They were just put into this cold, hard rock facility where they had just been beaten. And the, and the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. And let me tell you that word in the Greek, listening intently, laser-focused. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. That's called miracles. You know that? I want you to get this. The Word tells us Paul and Silas were severely beaten. So here they go, their reception to the first European city where the gospel is going to be reached. And now they were just, they're bleeding. They're hurting. They're broken. And they were given no care. No clean water to put on their wounds. No clean bandages. Nothing to help them. They were basically stuck in a hole in, a lar in the very depth of, of all the, the, this was the worst of the worst places. Probably there was no light down there. This was an ugly place. Bleeding, hurting, and there they are. I mean, this has got to be unbelievably painful. The word severely beaten, that, that's what it means. None of us have probably experienced this kind of a thing unless you've been jumped on by a gang or something and been kicked and beaten like crazy because that's kind of what's happening here. They descended on them and they said, throw them in the dungeon, secure them, but don't do anything to help them. And yet, they're praying and singing praises to God. Wow. Could you do that? I asked myself, could I do that? I'm not sure. I don't want to find out. <laughs> but I can only imagine, I mean, I can see how, I mean, how awful this was, but yet what a testimony. 
But yet we may not have to deal with the physical beating, but how many of us are in a dungeon of circumstances of our own? How many of us are in a place where we are imprisoned because of emotional things, relational issues, other things that can try to hold us in chains? And what do we do? Well, I hope that we pray and sing praises to God. Because there is something very powerful in this. The power of prayer and praise and sharing. The connection is intentional. They have this great earthquake, right? This is a miracle. I love the Greek word here. Uh, Simos, uh, megos, right? Seismic, megos, mega, mega seismic moment, right? So this is a huge earthquake taking place. I love the Greek word there. They're very clear, very precise. It, it shakes the prison, doors are open, chain, it, chains are coming off. Not just Paul and Silas, every single prisoner. Let me tell you something. It's worth just hanging out and getting close to the people of God because you never know what's going to spill over onto you. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) So Paul and Silas are in a horrible situation, and I want you to see the connection to the song of praise the prayer of these men to the supernatural deliverance that took place. This is an intended connection that this wasn't going to happen, but because of worship and prayer. Here's the point. Worship and prayer can open prison doors. When you're serving God and things don't go your way, when things don't happen the way you want them to happen, What are you going to do? Complain? Grumble? Be judgmental? Or are you going to pray and praise God? You see, the world's watching. That's one of the best ways we can share. Is we're going through horrendous times, challenges, difficulties. Because here's the point. You live in a fishbowl. You are fish in an aquarium. And everyone's watching. They're looking at you, staring at you, wondering what you're doing. How are you going to respond to the difficulties of life? How are you going to respond to what's going on in the the, the awful situation we live in with inflation, with politics, with pandemics, with, with all the things that surround us? What do we look like? We can't be fish that are all hiding in the little house in the aquarium and no one sees us. I want to blow that house up and get you out in the water. Listen, did, um, yeah, puffer fish. Did did Paul and Silas feel like worshiping God? Let me tell you, probably not. I'm sure that they were hurting, they were tired, they were scared, but they still gave glory to God. They still trusted God, and they had no idea an earthquake was coming. They were not praying for an earthquake. They were not praying for the shackles to come off. They were simply, and they weren't even preaching to the guys around them. I mean, they didn't get no megaphone, and they're saying to them, hey, you guys on the left, receive Jesus. You're in prison. You need the Lord. You guys on the right, man, you, you need the Lord. And you guys up there, can you hear me? You need Jesus. <laughs> None of that's going on. They are simply all to themselves doing what they know to do And they're praying and praising God, and everyone's listening, watching, and seeing what's happening. 
and a miracle takes place. That's sharing Jesus. Just live life like you're supposed to. Go through life like Jesus is really real in you. Live life like you're serious and that you understand how you go through tough times. Let your children and your family hear you speak of the glory of God rather than complain and be negative and and have all the kinds of things that, you know, I don't get this, what's going on with the world around us? And all the language that you might be using at that moment because you're frustrated and you're scared, rather than saying, hey, let's praise God together. Let's pray. Let's change our attitude. Let's have a heart for God. Because if you do that, God might bring an earthquake. A spiritual earthquake that will break you free from the chains that are holding you. You see, I've learned something. Worship, worshiping the Lord does not require good feelings. If you can only worship God when you feel good, you are not worshiping God. Our worship is released from what's inside our heart and our mind and our soul. And if there's nothing of Jesus in your heart, mind, or soul, you're not going to worship God because you cannot produce worship. It's released because there's something already there. So, verse 28, the the jailer woke up to see the prison doors open wide. That's if you're Jewish, you say, oy vey. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. Yeah, they're gone. See, it was so dark in there, he had no idea. And so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop, don't kill yourself. We are all, everyone in the jail is still there. No one has left. Now, why did the other guys leave? I don't know. But I think they were so focused on what was going on They're thinking, you know, I don't think I'm going to move right now. I'm going to wait to see what's going to happen. Now, the guard, this guard was responsible for these prisoners. That's why he was, because the reason why he was going to kill himself was kind of practical. Because if they had actually escaped, his judgment would have been as a jailer to serve everyone's sentence who had escaped. So if you had 10 people in jail serving 10 years each, and they all got away, you serve 10 times 10. They're sentenced, and now you're in jail for the rest of your life. Or it could be a little bit worse, and they torture you to death. They don't kill you quickly if you've, done, you've not done your job. So he's thinking, man, let's get this over with quick, because what's in front of me is horrific. But instead, he hears the word, Don't kill yourself. We are all here. Look at verse 29. The jailer called for lights. He says, it's so dark. He says, I need to verify this. Ran to the dungeon, goes into the depths of this, and I'm sure the light just kind of cast over Paul and Silas, and he fell down trembling before both of these guys. I mean, it was just such an amazing sight at that moment, and he's thinking, yes, you are here. Oh, this is a good day. And all of a sudden, he's, I could see the adrenaline was just gushing through his system. He's trembling. He's scared. And now he's unbelievably relieved. And he brought him out. And he said, wow, 
Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, along with everyone in your household. They shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household as a direct result of what was seen by this jailer, the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, this guy had heard a lot. I want to give you a little larger picture because he had heard this girl who was a fortune teller. She had a reputation. She was 100% on. That's how good she was. That's why this was a big deal. And so when she shouted that these men are from the Most High and they'll tell you the way of salvation, he believed that. He lived that. He thought, there's truth there. And then he saw the earthquake, and there was the evidence of it. He's going, wow, this is real. And that's why all of a sudden all this was taking place. Because look how God just did this amazing thing to put this together. He had been listening to Paul and Silas. He knew what was going on. So the jailer, of course, based on the world he lived in, what do I need to do? Is there something I need to perform? No. Is there money I need to pay? No. Is there special words I need to say? No. Do I have to earn this somehow? No. Is there some work I need to do? No. You just need to believe and receive Jesus as the Savior and Lord of your life. And I think he was thinking, this is just too easy. Because the guilt, you've got to realize the jailer was probably one that beat them. He was one of the ones that put his fist into their face and took a rod to their backs. And the guilt of what he just did was unbelievable. All the things that he was feeling, the torture, and then he jailed them, shackled them, and did nothing to care for them. He needed God's mercy, love, forgiveness, and grace. Because when you've done horrible things, that's what you need. And that's what God provides. And that's what we can share. That is something that is available to all of us. And you see the, an intentional contrast in Scripture. This is by design. The jailer filled with guilt and fear and distress. The men of God, peace, calmness, prayer and worship. The jailer's reaction, suicide. The men of God's reaction, saving life. And what's the difference? Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Verse 32, they shared the word of the Lord with him and all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them, washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Finally, the wounds of Paul and Silas are being cared for. Finally, there is some comfort being given, food being given. And I think what an amazing picture as the jailer is helping them they then immediately baptize them in water, which cleanses their soul, heals their wounds, restores what was injured and wounded by life, and all of a sudden the jailer has new life. His family has new life, just as he was providing new life to these guys. Can you say amen to that? Yes. 
Church, we have to share. We need to live our life. Let the world know who we are, what we're about. Sharing Jesus with others must not be an afterthought. It must always be our first thought. Can you say amen to that? 